Well, good morning, everybody. There you go. We started this series last week, uh, Doubter's Guide to Jesus. We're in Matthew. I'd love for you to turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7. We'll read that together. And a lot of you like to have an open Bible in front of you. That's good. I don't give you guys a lot of time to turn there. We're going to read it in a moment. Matthew chapter 8, verse 14 to 17. And when Jesus entered Peter's house... He saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. A doubter's guide to Jesus. Jesus as teacher, healer, judge, friend, and savior. Last week we looked at Jesus as our teacher. That's, um, I think we can greet that with open arms. One of the greatest, or the greatest teacher of all time. And he uh, taught things that just had a fixation to, to our culture today. Sayings that we talked about last week that have become proverbial. And most of us can look at Jesus the teacher and say, Hey, love thy neighbor, turn the other cheek, the, the, the prodigal son, the good Samaritan. Like We want a part of Jesus the teacher. It's revolutionary and it unites and it brings so much beauty and justice to our world that we desperately need. But Jesus, the healer, is a little hard, harder to digest, isn't it? The, in a scientific age uh, like ours. So I want to begin uh, in this passage and considering Jesus as a healer. And I want to just go full frontal here and say that Jesus heals. He is a healer. It's easy for some of us to believe this if you have a theistic view, if you believe that there is a God and this God can transcend the natural physical laws of the universe. If you're a naturalist, it's hard to believe any and any and all miracles because uh, you just believe in what is physical. And here is Jesus. Jesus heals. And Jesus heals time and He heals time again. So I want to say that healing does happen. I believe that. I don't know if you do or if you hold it... Um, with, at arm's length, very detached from it, from a distance. But I do believe that God heals. Five weeks ago, when we had a serve day, I was sharing this with our 930 service, I joined a group of folks at JSU, or just adjacent to the campus, and we worked on a demolition project for the InterVarsity House. We were getting a house ready for campus ministry. So there was a tribe of about 15 or 20 of us that were working. I was on a ladder with a hammer, and I hit something that came back and hit me in the head. And what happened next was really an amazing process uh, that happens in my body and the human body. And because there's uh, doctors and medical students in the room, I want to I get this right so that you won't mock me later as y'all have done before. What began in my amazing body, which is a wonderland, was a process called non-deception, which sent pain signals to my brain. Platelets went to the area that was wounded and blood clotting began where blood was beginning the process of stopping and where there was a infection prevention happening in a microscopic sort of way. Uh, something called polymorphonuclear neutrophils flooded into the area that began to eat up this bacteria. A bacteria uh, something I call little Pac-Man. 
They don't teach that at medical school. But these little pack men went to the area and began to do business there to tackle the infections and the bacteria to help with the blood clotting. And all that happened in, in, or that process began. And isn't that uh, remarkable that healing happens? Healing happens in our bodies and we take it for granted, don't we? Healing happens in the earth, in the world that we live. Um, I don't know if you had a chance like me to visit Northern California, the giant redwoods and the sequoia trees that loom so large out there that are so ancient and so beautiful. And I, I learned something fascinating. Anytime we see wildfires um, out west or anywhere, it's really sad, but it might not be as sad as, uh, as we think because you go to areas that look charred and ugly from a forest fire and you can already start seeing little blooms of green uh, starting to sprout up and blossom. And in the sequoia trees, I learned, this seems incredulous, but the, in the pine cones, the, the needles, there's little seedlings and these seeds, uh, they take effect when there is a fire in the area. In other words, there's something innate in them that begins this regenerative healing process uh, in the earth's surface. How wonderful is that healing? It happens. It happens. It happens in our bodies. It happens uh, in the world. There was a group of people, an ancient tribe of people, a little nation, who believed in God as a healer. Early on in the best-selling book of all time that now has become, in Exodus, it says this, Exodus 19.4, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Fast forward to the psalmist, Psalm 91 in verse 4. He will cover you with his pinions. That's a funny word, isn't it? I, I know in, being a pastor, a lot of y'all have a lot of pinions. And under his wings, you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Now, that Hebrew word is this. It's coming. Knopf. And this is the Hebrew word for wings, which also is the same word um, for garment, for, for the outer edge of a garment. Jewish rabbis back in the day would wear prayer shawls. And on their prayer shawls, there would be tassels on the edge of their robe or their garment. And it was thought that these were wings. These were uh, healing wings. Uh, mother eagles. It's known in, in the natural world that when a baby eaglet is struggling to fly, it's injured or just immature or unwilling, this mother eagle will take a little eaglet and she'll take it under uh, her wings and she'll... Uh, fly uh, before Frank Sinatra saying, come fly with me, come fly, let's fly away. That's what the mother eagles would do with their little eaglets and they would fly and there was shielding and there was protection. And this became a picture of God and his healing under God's wings. Uh, look what Malachi the prophet said about kind of, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. It was believed by these Jewish people, that healing happened and that healing, that God was a God who saved. You know, you can divide the world up in lots of, lots of different ways. I've learned one way is that there are a savers and there are throwers. And every marriage, I think, typically has one of each, a saver or a thrower. When Susan and I married, uh, not long after we became parents and we gave our oldest son a goldfish, and a couple of days later, the goldfish wasn't doing well. And I said, Susan, look, the goldfish isn't doing well. She said, that's okay. We can get a new one. We looked over at a chair that I brought into the marriage. The only piece of furniture I brought into the marriage, the 
arm was breaking off. And I said, Susan, this chair isn't doing well. She said, yeah, that chair's not doing well. That's okay. We can throw it out and get a new one. A couple of days later, I got really sick, but I didn't say anything to Susan at all. Every marriage, I believe, has savers and has throwers. Uh, Through the years, I've become like my wife, which is a good thing. We just, you know, like to throw things out and not save it. The the Jewish people, more and more, were believing that God was a saver. That He's not one to discard, to throw things away. That He wants to bring healing. Healing happens. There's healing in our bodies, healing in the earth. There's a, a book that we preach from that we follow after, that teaches us a God who heals. It's impacted us today when we sing Christmas songs like Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And it says, light and life He will bring. There is what? Healing in His wings. And some of us, we need that. We need God to protect us. We need Him to bring healing into our lives. This passage in Matthew 8 is a story of a place that we got to visit this past February. In fact, I'm thinking, planning, praying, dreaming that uh, in the future we can uh, take some trips to Israel. Uh, Some of us may want to do that. It was just an incredible trip of a lifetime for us this past year. And to be able to read this passage and to think back to when we visited that place to see Peter's house and we see Jesus healing. If you have an open Bible, you can look down and you can see that Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law with what? She had a fever and he healed her with a with a touch. He healed with a touch. And how important is touch? Some of you don't have that love language. You're like, all right, you know, you're sitting two feet apart from the person you're with, if you're with anybody, right? You're, you're, but for some of us, that is our love language, a physical touch. And can I tell you, it's really important. Physical touch is really important for everyone, even though we get a little weird about it, and even though we vary in what we think our needs are. UCLA study revealed a few years ago that um, people who get 10 meaningful touches a day are happier and healthier and more active. They live longer. Um, a buddy of mine, Tim Down, speaks at marriage conferences with Family Life, and he tells a story of when he gave that, that study that he saw a young husband touching his wife. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven... The, the goal there is meaningful touch, right? Men don't get it. I don't know that we ever will, right? But to be touched and to be touched meaningfully. And we see this in Scripture. We see this in Scripture. I want to just briefly, because we see Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law with a touch, to talk for a moment about touch. We see in Scripture several categories of touch. One is a touch of reassurance. Well, look what Matthew is later going to tell us. Matthew 17, there's a mount of transfiguration. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down, to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came, and what did He do? He touched them. Get up, and don't be afraid. No doubt, you have a fear. No doubt, there's some in a room this size that have a real fear. It could be a fear of tomorrow. It could be a fear of facing tomorrow. It could be you're going to work tomorrow. Knowing you don't want to be there or wondering if they want you to be there or that you'll be able to be there. Or you may have a fear of yesterday, a fear of being found out, a fear of guilt and shame, a fear of something big that you're facing. You could have a fear. And what you need is a touch of reassurance. And can I tell you, that's our healing God. Our healing God wants to touch you where you need it most and to give you this reassurance. I got a call from 
a man this week and he invited me to come over. I could tell that he, he, was, he was desperate. And I came, I went, I went to his house, I rang and knocked and the door was open and I went in and I heard him. And the first thing I noticed when I walked in, there was no longer any furniture in his house. His wife left him and left with everything. And this man, like maybe some of you today, needed a touch of reassurance. That God can meet you in your fear. Whatever you're most afraid of is likely to be the very point that God wants to work in your life. And it may involve some type of healing. Maybe physical, but likely emotional and mental. And there is a touch of reassurance that's really important. Now, when we talk about the word touch, truly, I could see it on the faces of some in our 930 service. It's just, we can get funny about touch. All of us have personal space. Just nod your head if you like. We all have some, we all have personal space. And for some of us, uh, we, I used to have a couple of friends who were around. They moved out of state, but uh, they just like violated my personal space. And I'm a big physical affection guy. I love to hug and be close to people. They're just, you know, carry on conversations like right here. And, and I had another friend, like we used to joke, man, when they get together, like they're not kissing, but almost, Right. And physical space, everybody's got it and it varies. Some of you like to be close. And in America, I've read different sociological surveys on this. About 18 inches, about a foot and a half is what most people are comfortable having around them with their personal space of talking and touching. Um, anything closer to that is considered intimate space. Now, it varies. If you go to Brazil or Italy, the space comes a lot closer. If you're in the United Kingdom and Britain and all, its space is like, you know, way away. But we all have physical personal space. And let me say to you, there's a difference between, a big difference between giving a hug and taking a hug. And we're wise. Everybody, every parent, every spouse, every friend, every coworker, every pastor, we got to be really wise with this. You know, the scripture tells us it refers to bodies as temples. And that means that every time I deal with someone else's body, it's holy ground. And it's a tough world that we're living in when it comes to touch. And a lot has gone wrong. And a lot can go wrong. And I pray that God would redeem this in us. That we could be a church. A woman was talking to my wife and I just about a month ago. And she was talking about now that her husband has left her. She misses him. She misses the touch. And she said that her married friends aren't hanging out with her much anymore. That she's now out of touch. With so much that she used to have. And can I say. Can I charge us to be the kind of faith people that we would draw close to people? And we would be a place where we would love each other sincerely from the heart, that we would figure out our American Mississippi way to greet each other with a holy kiss and to bring people in and to give people a touch of reassurance. There's a touch of reassurance. And secondly, I tell you, there's a a touch of reconciliation. Anybody recognize uh, this name, extra credit? We had a guy in the 930 knows this guy. Anybody know Malchus? He was the Roman soldier uh, at, uh, at, in the area of the crucifixion. Matthew 26. In fact, he's, he's in every gospel account. It's one of those stories that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all include in their narrative. And this was the soldier who Peter grabbed a Roman soldier's sword and cut off his ear. Do you remember this story? Remarkable story. And I imagine, I imagine Jesus, as he put the guy's ear back on, I imagine that he... By the way, when you I imagine him, you know, hitting the knee to pick up the ear, 
and put the ear back on. And I imagine him speaking into Malchus's ear and saying to him, look, dude, sorry. I've been with Peter for three years now. He's slow. He's stubborn. He doesn't get it, right? Anybody there, like you want to follow Jesus, but it just, it's just taken a while for you to mature and understand what the kingdom of God is and what He has for you. But I think of this soldier. And I think of him asking the question inwardly, who is this man? Who is this man who would heal me with a touch? Who would save his last miracle before his death on a soldier who would be involved in his execution. Who is this man? And I pause to say to you that as followers of Jesus, we need to be catalytic and we need to lead the way and bring in a touch of reconciliation to this world. In the movie 42, about Jackie Robinson, the first African-American, he was playing in the Negro League, and he was called up, and he got to play in the Major League Baseball in America. We weren't quite ready for it, especially in the Deep South. And a guy named Pee Wee Reese, a little short, white, stubby, talented, shortstop from Louisville, Kentucky, And Louisville, Kentucky at the time, probably no different than Mississippi. There were separate everything than blacks and whites. They they didn't drink out of the same fountain or get on the same bus. And 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 as Hollywood depicts the story, Pee Wee Reese runs over, this white guy, he runs over. And they were in a stadium full of people who were hostile to Jackie Robinson. Imagine that. And Pee Wee runs over and there's this scene in the Hollywood movie where he puts his arm around Jackie. And he points at some of the crowd and he says, hey, these are my people. And I'm, I'm touching you now to let them know that you're my brother and that we're together. There's a touch of reassurance when you're afraid and in need. Maybe you're on the floor. And there's a touch of reconciliation. Imagine if you would go back to Malchus, go back to the Roman soldier, go back to the execution moments before it. Imagine the hatred and the fear. I mean, how many of us would have drawn the sword as well, right? Jesus says this kingdom is entirely different. And I want to touch the world with reassurance, every fearful heart. And I want to touch... I want to touch you. And I want to bring people who hate each other into a circle of love. I want to be a reconciler. And can I say, before we get all sold out on this physical healing, we're getting there, but before we get all sold out on it and bothered by it and divided by it, can I just say, we need healing in regards to reconciliation today. Do you believe it? Are you willing to to be a part of it? Are Are you willing to do your part? Are you willing to pray for us that we can do our part in this community and beyond to bring a touch of reconciliation, of of healing in our world? Touch of reassurance, touch of reconciliation, a touch of healing. Jesus healed a blind man in Bartimaeus. He healed him with a touch. Jesus healed a blind man in Jerusalem. He healed him with a touch. Jesus healed two blind men in Capernaum. He healed them with a touch. Jesus healed a deaf mute in Decapolis. He healed them with a touch. Jesus healed a 12-year-old little girl, deathly ill on her bed. He healed her with a touch. And here in Matthew 8... He heals Peter's mother-in-law and he healed her with a touch. 
And in his day, And in his day, there were a group of people. It's the saddest of the sad, the lowest of the lows. They were the lepers and they were known as the untouchables. They would, when important people walked by, chief priests, magistrates, scribes, Pharisees, rabbis, kings, of course, they would... They were taught that the proper decorum was to tear at their clothes and to cover their mouths and to shout unclean, unclean to make sure they didn't get anywhere near the vicinity of anybody, especially important bodies. And you see the significance of the life of Jesus, how progressive and revolutionary, shocking and provocative He was when He chose, when He chose to reach out Touch a leopard. You see, they weren't just sick, they were unclean. And when you touched a leopard, you you became unclean according to the civil and ceremonial laws. And Jesus says, I want to break the law in order to heal. That's how great my love is. The religious people of their day proved their devotion to God by who they didn't touch. And Jesus proved His devotion to God by who He was willing to touch. And this is what He brings. The healing touch. I want to say a couple of things about this story. Now, we read a simple story. We read a story that uh, if you're naturalistic, you have a hard time believing. If you're theistic, you can buy into this, but probably have your doubts. But in this story, something, a simple healing occurred. And so to enhance it, not to diminish it, let's step out a bit and understand this, the meta-narrative that's happening, the, the context of, what, of Jesus' healing. There's two purposes or two big ideas behind the healing of Jesus here in Matthew 8 in this time, in this era. The first is, He was breaking a curse. You see, Jewish people were at the core a people of faith, a, a people of covenantal faith. And there was an agreement with their leaders, with God, that if they did certain things, they would be blessed. And if they didn't do these certain things, they would be cursed. And we're a people, especially today with modern ears, we always love to talk about the blessings and the good things. So the idea behind the covenant was that these people would worship God and they would show justice uh, to the poor and the oppressed. And by the way, I'm not sharing anything with you novel, novel here, but I just can't believe how more and more and more I'm discovering, even after years of study and seminary and just decades of learning, of how just I'm gripped with how much of the Bible is about helping the poor. Like oh, even in the obscurity of Deuteronomy and Leviticus and all of that, the stuff that we have trouble with, even in that all the way through, there's so much. God's heart is for the poor and for the oppressed, and we can't ever miss that. And God had this, the, the, the Jewish people had this covenant that if they walked this way and they worshiped Him and they cared and they exercised justice, they would be blessed. But if they didn't, they would be cursed. Let's be really clear. Deuteronomy chapter 28. The first part is the part that all the preachers put on the screen. That's the blessing. But this is the curse. Now we can debate what's literal and metaphorical. Verse 25, the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will come at them from one direction, but flee from them in seven. And you will become a thing of horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your carcasses will be food for all the birds and the wild animals. And there will be no more no one to frighten them away. The Lord will afflict you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors, festering sores, and the itch from which you cannot be cured. The Lord will afflict you with madness. Here we go. With madness, with blindness, with confusion of mind, i.e. demonic possession. At midday, when the sun is at its brightest, you will grope about like 
a blind person in the dark. You will be unsuccessful in everything that you do. Day after day, you will be oppressed and robbed with no one to rescue you. Can we get any more clear? All bad things will happen if you ignore justice and you turn. And what did Israel do, particularly in the, uh, between the 9th and the 8th century BC? They turned away and they curried the favor of pagan deities and they oppressed the poor. Not only not helping them, they made it difficult and they oppressed and they turned from God. So, when, so prophets before Jesus, we're going to go back to Jesus in a second, but Isaiah, the major of the major prophets, began to foretell of the coming Messiah who would be a healer. Not just a teacher, not just a friend and savior and judge, but a healer. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. There is one coming who will break the curse. He will, the Old Testament, the the old law, the covenant will be annulled. And this new covenant is coming that will be for all people and it'll be built on love and it'll be built on one who is a healer and now some of the most famous words in all of literature Isaiah 53 that we see in Matthew surely he took upon our pain this is our Messiah he bore our suffering yet we considered him punished by God stricken by him and afflicted but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought us peace was on him and here we go and by his wounds We are healed. When Jesus came, a lot of people believed they were under a curse. A lot of people were waiting and looking and longing for a Savior. Great relationship with Jesus and John the Baptist. Matthew 11, 2-5. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one... Who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Jesus is lifting a curse. He's saying there is a new day. I'm ushering in an entirely different kingdom. I am Savior I'm friend, I'm judge, I'm teacher, but I want you to know that I'm a healer. And proclaiming the good news of the gospel to everybody here today, I want to tell you, our God is a healer. And healing happens. And it's available to us. So Jesus, the the bigger picture, the meta-narrative, is that He came to shatter, to break this curse. And He came to foretell of a future kingdom. How many of you, on the daily, are dissatisfied with the world that you live in. And you're desperate for another one. You're desperate for another kingdom that awaits. Jesus said two things that aren't contradictory, but when He came right at the beginning of His preaching with repent and believe, He taught this, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here. It's right here. Remember when I talked about Jesus, the teacher, last week, the other people, the rabbis were saying, here, you know, they were pointing and pointing, and Jesus was like, you're pointing, but I'm the point. It's me. There's a kingdom here, and I'm ushering in this new kingdom. But yet he said this. 
He taught the disciples to pray, you and I as well, to pray what? Your kingdom come, finish that, on earth as it is in heaven. Man, it's heartbreaking to live in this world today, isn't it? It's overwhelming at times to see what we see and know what we know. And to everyone who's thinking and feeling and probing deeply with eyes open and hearts attuned, it can just be too much at times. God, bring your kingdom. Bring your kingdom to earth. And that's what Jesus, that's what He longs to do. That's what He wants us to be a part of. And He wants to bring healing. In seminary, they call it eschatology. It's a fancy word for the end times. It's a fancy word for there's coming a day. There's, there's Jesus returning again. And there will be all things made new and evil but will be wiped out. And peace will reign. No more death. And no more tears. No more disease or decay. That kingdom, though, is not yet. And you and I struggle to live in the here now. So what do we make? What do we make with a healer? I want to ask three questions about healing as we close. The first one is this. Does God heal today? Does He heal today? Are you seeking Him as a healer? Have you ever seen Him bring about healing in you? Physical, emotional, mental? Have you seen Him be a healer? I want to say to you today that yes, yes, God heals. I do want to point to a reality that we see in Scripture. And I do believe, uh, though through subjective lens, that we do see in the world today. And through Scripture, notice what happened. There was great signs and wonders through the prophets at first, and through Jesus, and through the apostles of the early church. In fact, when Peter healed, we preached Acts a couple of years ago, and I said to some of you, say it to everybody now, when Peter uh, healed, he just walked around healing. He didn't pray for people to be healed. He just walked around healing people. Like There was something special about what God was doing in the book of Acts. But we see it begin to fade a little bit. We see it begin to fade a little bit. Paul, God used this man to perform many signs and miracles and wonders and yes, healing. But look what Paul said in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 20. Erastus stayed in Corinth and I left, this is my point, I left Trophimus who was ill. I left him behind. So we see a path. We see a trajectory. We see, I see a God who does signs and wonders whenever He desires, whenever He wants to. He's always able and always capable. But He had a special plan for the prophets and for Jesus and for the apostles of the early church. And I believe today on the mission field, anytime the gospel goes forth the first time in the early seasons, there are a special time of miracles and healing and signs and wonders to validate and authenticate the gospel message. And so Christians debate this in our world today. I sat down with a pastor a few months ago and he said, man, Robert, whatever God did in Acts, he wants to do today. And I want to believe that. I want to believe that. But I look at all of Acts and I look at the trajectory of what God has done. And I want every miracle, every sign and wonder, every gift of healing that God has for me and for you. But I don't know if we can say that what happened in Acts is to be normative for our day. Second question, will everyone who prays in faith receive healing? 
My answer to that is yes and no, but mostly yes. You see, God can get great glory. He can get great glory when someone's sick gets well. And God can get great glory when someone's sick dies well. And I just checked the statistics before the sermon today, before the 930. It's the, the dying rate for us is 100%. 100% of us. And so, here's what I want to say to you. I'm trusting Him. We need to trust Him with what is best for us. For where you're hurt, and where you ail, and where you're sick, and where you, don't, where you want God's healing, pray for it. We do that as a church each and every time. We did it this week. Each and every time someone desires the elders, according to James 5, to pray over them, to anoint them with oil, and pray that they would be healed, we do that. We do that, and we long to do that. But this is a work of God, and not of man. Last final question. What part of the church's mission should be focused on healing? I want to say to you, all of it. All of it. It's all up to Him. But God describes it through John, the Apostle John in Revelation, that there will be a day, there will be a tree and there will be a garden and it will be for the healing of all nations. And you and I, when we say the kingdom of God is at hand, we point back to a man who came and lived and he died and did what no one else in history has ever done before. He predicted his own death and resurrection and pulled it off. I'm with Jesus. I'm throwing my lot down with him. The kingdom has come. But there is this future kingdom. And so what we need to do is pray the prayer, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we need to be called, we need to be called to make sure that we're resisting evil and that we're relieving suffering at every turn. Every time we see evil, we resist it. And every time we see suffering, we alleviate it. So what part of the church's mission should be focused on healing? All of it. All of it. I'm not saying that all we do is walk around praying for physical manifestations of healing. I'm not saying that at all. I am saying that there is redemptive work that God wants to do through us and He wants to bring healing into us and He wants it to flow through us to other people. Can we be open to that? And so, we're going to make music in a moment. We're going to finish, end our service today by taking the Lord's Supper. By worshiping the one the one that it is declared that by His stripes we are healed. And so what healing do you need today? As a church, as we resist evil, and as we seek to relieve suffering, we ought to have a determined spirit of seeing God work through us. Whatever you need, Wherever the hurt is, we want to be a people who will respond. Needs are all around us. When someone says, I need help in my marriage, we can say, we'll be there. When someone says, I'm battling an addiction, we can say, we're there for you. When someone says, I need a bag of groceries, we can say, we're there for you. When someone says, I need job training or um, a place to live, we can be there. 
And that's the spirit of a people who follow a healer. Would you stand with me? Father, I pray that you help us overcome our doubt. Lord, to pray more and more prayers of faith for you to work. And there's probably some folks today that need healing in their marriage. You might even be sitting next to each other, but have already checked out. There are folks who need healing mentally and emotionally. The ability to go to sleep at night without any drug or pill. The ability to focus. The ability to find peace. Jesus, you're the healer. In your wings, in your garment, Lord, we want to touch. We want you to touch us. In a world that's broken and busted up. In a world of trafficking where children and women are exploited and demeaned. Where people, particularly men, are enslaved. We need healing. To possess these vessels in sanctification and honor. To hold marriage and parenting in high regard. Lord, break our pride. Heal us from our pride where we we don't go get help. We don't come to you to get help. Lord, I thank you for the courageous friends I know in this room. For Jan and others who are in a cancer battle. Lord, you love her. And Lord, heal. Continue to do your work. Lord, be most glorified in our lives. In you we pray. In Jesus, amen.